I am Daniel Luiz, and welcome to Book 101. Book 101 is all about the books that I read for the last 40 years. And today, I have my special guest. She is the author of the book Naming Gotham, the villains, rogues, and heroes behind New York's place names. No other than Miss Rebecca Bradspeece. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Book 101, <laughs> Miss Rebecca. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Uh, nice to meet you. My name's Rebecca. And as Daniel said, I'm the author of Naming Gotham, The Villains, Rogues, and Heroes Behind New York Place Names. When I'm not pretending to be a historian, which I did when I wrote this book, I'm a law professor. I teach at City University of New York, where I focus on issues of environmental justice and uh, regulatory policy. Wow, interesting, Ms. Rebecca. So what is the big difference of being a lawyer and being an author? Well, that's, that's actually a difficult question. So being a, a lawyer is very rule-based. It's very much about advocating within a context that already exists. Being an author, gives me the freedom to not have boundaries and not have boxes. And um, my book is nonfiction. It's, his, it's historical. So the material it was real. It was in the world. But the research that I did was my own. It was based on what interested me about the people that I was writing about rather than any legal standard that I needed to meet. What age did you realize that you are good in writing? Well, I've always been interested. Uh, I am really no good at fiction, which I wish I were better at. Um, my, I actually have a teenager who is an unbelievable fiction writer, and I, I watch what he does in awe because I, I cannot do that. Dialogue is beyond my capacity. But in terms of taking really complicated issues and explaining them in writing in a way that makes them accessible to people who maybe don't have much background. Like that's something I spend my time doing. I spend my time doing that in my scholarship. I did that in this book. I try to do that in everything because I want to write for people and I want to write to help people understand the problems that I am interested in and grappling with. Yes. Who are your favorite authors that influence you the most? Oh, I have so many favorite authors. Um, right now, I'm reading, uh, rereading, actually, a book by a professor called Na Naomi Oreskes. It's called Merchants of Doubt. And it is a really good book about climate change. Um, in terms of fiction, I... You know, it's a little bit juvenile, but I loved reading the Percy Jackson books with my child as they were growing up. I thought those books were wonderful. We read all 18 or 19 of them. I guess they go beyond Percy Jackson to, um, you know, a host of other characters. But I, I thought those were wonderful literature for young people. Um, I 
you know, one of my favorite books is a little embarrassing, but I loved reading War and Peace. I thought it was just such a wonderful, really long, but wonderful novel. So I guess I'm pretty eclectic. <laughs> Something else, right? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about climate change because I myself saying to my all my podcasts that let's combat climate change. As a lawyer, what is your piece about climate change? Well, we must take action. Um, you know, 10 years ago would have been good. 20 years ago would have been even better. But today is far better than waiting until tomorrow. And there is so much we can do. I'm actually in the process of writing an article, uh, a scholarly article right now about build, it's called Building the World We Want, Taking Action in the Era of Climate Change. There's so many things we can do, but the biggest and most important thing that people who live in democracies can do is vote for candidates who make climate change a priority, who make protecting the most vulnerable people among us a priority and doing so in a fashion that, that advances our sort of ability to reduce carbon emissions and to um, combat the ramifications of climate change. Yeah. Do you think we are too late to combat climate change? No. We are too late to have no impacts. There are definitely locked-in impacts. But every day we don't act, every month we don't act, means we're going to face a worse situation. So there is still so much we can do, so much we can save. And the way to do that is not to give in to climate doomism, which says, oh, it's too late, we can't do anything, because there's so many things we can do. Indeed. So as a lawyer, what do you think a solution or recommendation we need to prioritize? Well, one of the happy things we've discovered is that laws that reduce pollution to protect the air that people breathe, the water that people drink, and the land that people live on also dramatically reduce our carbon emissions. So, uh, you know, I think what we should be doing is focusing on reducing pollution. When we reduce pollution, we protect people today, and we, we um, act against climate change in a way that centers the most vulnerable. Yes, indeed, people, let's join together to combat climate change because this is the future of our generations to generation to come. It's up to us how we battle it. Absolutely. If you describe the writing style of your favorite authors, mm -hmm. what are they? Straightforward, easy to understand, with an ability to really make phrasing that is elegant and to use vocabulary in a way that isn't like overly fancy or pretentious but is spot on for for conveying meaning did you get your that attributes in your writing i tried i i don't want to judge my own work but that was one of the priorities that i was going for in my writing 
Yes. But before we go on, Mr. Baike, I want to shout out to the people listening in Norway. I'm number 12 on my Apple chart. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast in Oslo County. I get 49% of Shara Galant at 14%, Baskerud at 11%, Vikram 6%, Mario Gramsdal at 6%, Westfold at 3%, Inlandet at 3%, Westland at 3%. Tron del Black at 3%, and last but not the least, Telemark at 3%. Thank you, Norway, for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower writers all over the world, like Miss Rebecca Bradsby. So, Miss Rebecca, naming Gotham the villains, rogues, and heroes behind New York's place names. How did you craft it? Well, I, to be honest, this book started in a traffic jam. There's a road in New York City that goes by Yankee Stadium on the way to the George Washington Bridge. And it's called the Major Deegan Expressway. And anyone who has ever tried to take this road has been stuck in traffic, possibly for hours. It's a terrible road. And so I used to have to take it to visit my parents. And I would always be stuck in traffic and be cursing, saying, who is this Major Deegan? I hate him. <laughs> and finally, and finally, my parents, my family said, well, why don't you find out? So I did. I did some research. And it turns out that he's way less impressive than you might expect from somebody who has this pretty important road named after him. And that got me interested. It got me asking questions about all of the other people that we name roads and bridges and um, recreational facilities and parks and other civic institutions after here in New York. Uh, so that was the genesis of the book. And one thing that's I find really interesting is that so much of the infrastructure, especially the roads and bridges, was justified as reducing congestion. And guess what? All of those roads and bridges are now synonymous with congestion. Mm, yes. Why Miss Rebecca Gotham? Well, Gotham is one of the nicknames of New York. And, you know, a lot of people, when they hear Gotham, they think of Batman. Mm, but, yes. the, <laughs> but the word actually is from Middle English. And it is, um, it's a word, it's sort of an insult. It means goat herder and was slang in... Uh, like in the Middle Ages for fool. And there was a very famous American writer named Washington Irving, who was sort of a young man about town in New York. He was very sophisticated. And he had this group of very sophisticated friends that he would go drinking with. And they wrote a satirical magazine making fun of New York. And in it, they called New York Gotham. And that's where the connection between this Middle English word Gotham and New York comes from it. And then Batman picked it up. Yes. Interesting, Miss Rebecca. You are born and raised in New York. I'm actually originally from a nearby state, Pennsylvania, which is why I needed to take the Major Deegan to leave New York City and go visit my parents. What do you think? Why New York City is one of the famous city in the world? Well, We speak more languages here in New York City than any other place on the planet. People come here from all over 
the world, all over the, the United States and every corner of the planet. And even though the planet's round and doesn't really have corners. But what makes New York such a special place is that we all live here together in a pretty small area. So we're all on top of each other. We're all mixing together. We're all together on the street. We're together on the subway. We eat each other's food. We learn bits of each other's language. And that creates a place where there's room for everybody. No matter who you are, no matter what language you speak, what color your skin is, who you love, there's room for you in New York. And that's what I love about the city. Vibrant city. According to Amazon, you are number 13 the historical geography ebooks. Wow, congratulations. And number 45 in landmarks and monuments. And number 53, historical study reference. So what are your preparation in writing this book? Well, I did a tremendous amount of research. Um, I did a lot of it during COVID, so it was remotely. Um, I was using New York City Public Library has great online resources. Uh, before COVID, I could go there in person and, and use the, the facilities, but um, I spent a tremendous amount of time reading old newspapers because what I really wanted was like not the who did what on what date kind of history, but I wanted the really gossipy, like what are people's <laughs> lives like? Yes. You know, that's what interests me is, is what I wanted to do is I wanted to take these names that we stuck on things and turn them into people and to understand what their lives were like as a way to really understand the city and to understand how much power reflected who got things named after them and who gets to decide what counts as history and how that is changing as the power shifts across the city. Yes, indeed. And people love gossip. So I think one of the ingredients that you put in your book is something else. And according to Mr. Michael M., this is a fun reading page turner that will make you more interesting. <laughs> so what are the elements that you put in the book that make this book more interesting? Well, like I said, I was I was going for gossip. I mean, it's all true. And I spent a lot of time fact checking and verifying. But whereas a conventional history book might leave out somebody's scandalous divorce or somebody's uh, love affairs, uh, that's in here, as well as sort of some of the corruption scandals. Like one of the people I wrote about, a man named Bruckner, has a uh, highway named after him, the Bruckner Expressway. Well, he was a soda pop king. He, during prohibition, when it was illegal to sell alcohol in the United States, he made a fortune selling soft drinks. And he was, at the same time he was running his soda company, he was the, the president of the borough of Bronx, which is one of the five boroughs that make up New York City. And, uh, children, thousands of children marched on Bronxboro Hall, where his office was, demanding that he lower the price of sodas because the price had been had gone up and kids couldn't afford them anymore. You know, like, I feel like that that kind of detail is the texture that makes history interesting. Indeed, I think so. 
And according to Miss Susie B, this was a surprise. Got to source for New York history. What is the best example that you can share to us about New York history? Uh, let's see the best. Well, my favorite character in this book is uh, Kosciuszko, who was a Revolutionary War general. He was Polish and he came over to fight in the revolution. And he walked into Benjamin Franklin's print shop in New Jersey and said, hi, I'm a military expert. I'm here to help you. And Benjamin Franklin said, uh-huh, sure you are. But asked him a bunch of questions. And it turned out that Kosciuszko really was a military expert. And so he sent him on to General Washington. And Kosciuszko was uh, a critical strategist in a number of battles that allowed the United States to ultimately prevail in the war. But he also, in the 1700s, was an ardent abolitionist and a vocal opponent of slavery. And then after the Revolutionary War was over, he went back to Poland and led a revolution there and ended serfdom in Poland. So I think he's fascinating. Um, my kid always teases me that I have a crush on him, and I certainly <laughs> do. He's also very handsome. There are a bunch of paintings of him, and he was a very handsome young man. Yes, indeed. And according to Ed uh, Burkineski and Mr. Costa, fascinating and amazing book. Because I think if you describe the, your book, it's fascinating and amazing. What is the big difference of those uh, adjectives? <laughs> oh well thank you um i'm you know these are as an author these are incredible things to hear yes in the future is there a follow-up for this book well there might be um i'll have to see because i do have a day job as a law professor and i have a lot of writing i need to do in that context. But there's so many people that I couldn't fit into this book. One interesting difference between writing a book for an academic press and writing a popular book is that popular presses, they give you a word limit and they mean it. So they're like, yeah, you're done. You can't put any more pages into this book. And I had lots of people that I couldn't fit into the book that I would love to write about. I've been blogging about some of them, but I may, there may be a volume two. We'll have to see. As a lawyer, I can see it in your writing. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I tried, like, legal writing is notorious for being really boring and really dry. I try very hard to avoid that. I mean, in my legal writing as well, but particularly in this book. But you know, some of the questions that interest me have to do with law. So that definitely is one of the themes running through this book. I mean, I would say there are a couple of themes running through this book. One is the way that infrastructure creates rather than solves congestion. Um, one is racial justice throughout history in New York. And the other is the way that uh, law shapes a lot of these stories. What is your short-term and long-term goals in writing? Uh, I, you know, I keep trying to get better at it. Um, I always want to be able to be both simpler and more engaging at the same time. And I am working, I'm working right now on a 
book that probably would be of interest to none of your um, your audience because it's about teaching environmental law. But I feel like it's really important to sort of create resources to help new teachers and teachers around the country and around the world teach young people how to advocate and how to use law to advocate. And, and let me just add one other thing, because I, I want to mention this, is that in addition to being a lawyer and an author, I also work very closely with a super talented artist named Charlie LaGreca Velasco. And together we've made a series of environmental justice comic books that are really spectacularly beautiful because he's a, a, a talented, talented artist, but are great teaching tools as well as fun stories to read. And they're free to download from my website for any nonprofit use or educational use or you know, if you just want to read them, as long as it's not a commercial use, you, you're free to, to download them. But before we go on, I'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast, Food 101, on our third season with Chef Alessandro, one of the best executive chef in one of the best restaurants in downtown Toronto. And please do listen to our latest episode. We talk about Grissini. Grissini people, one of let's say trademark of Italian cuisine. Plus one more, our books are out. Food 101, volume one until seven is out, people. Available on Amazon and leading online bookstores worldwide. It's all about how to create a delicious food. So please do grab a copy. Food 101, volume one to seven. So, Miss Rebecca naming Gotham, what is the best highlight? <laughs> the best highlight? Um, well, I've told you some of my favorites. Let's see. There's a road here in New York called the Van Wyck Expressway. It's named after the first mayor of unified New York. So, New York used to be a bunch of different cities. And in 1896, it joined together to create the city of New York as we know it now. And the first mayor was a guy named Van Wyck. And he was so corrupt that the New York Times described his uh, time as mayor as mired in, in ooze and muck. And even in his obituary, where, you know, they usually try to say relatively nice things, they described him as the most corrupt mayor in New York history. Now, he's had a lot of competition since then. But if you want to read about the scandals he was involved in, they're very interesting. Mm, people, that's interesting. Miss Rebecca, if you describe New York five adjectives. Noisy, messy, open-minded, sophisticated, and delicious. Doesn't really fit. I don't mean the city. The food here is incredible <laughs> because people come here from all over the world and they bring their food with them and then we get to eat such incredible food and i love that i agree with you mr becca new york is delicious so <laughs> naming gotham if you want to go back and revise the book itself which part of the book you want to revise oh i want to add more people um i if i were going to revise the book i would probably spend more time in the beginning laying out my ideas about why naming is so important and why we should pay attention to it and um, 
sort of try to trace those threads a little bit more through the individual stories about the individual people. You know, it's a learning process. It was the first book like this that I've ever written. And um, I enjoyed it very much. But I, I, as I look at it, I see many things that I could improve. Well, very well said, Mr. Bega, naming Gotham. If we talk about the best highlight, do you think there's a flaws in your book? Well, one of the flaws is not, I think, my fault or the fault of the book, but the fault of the political reality that we live in. And that is that so many of these stories are stories of, uh, quite frankly, not that impressive white men that things are named after. Um, there are some people of color in this book. There are some women. And by comparison, they are all exceptional because they had to be in a society that really didn't have room for them to excel. Um, uh, you know, I would like to see more things named after uh, some of the, the really important figures in New York history that nothing's been named after. Uh, there's one woman named Jane Bolin, who was the first black woman to serve as a judge in the United States. She was appointed by LaGuardia, the, who was, was the mayor of New York in the 30s, in 1939. And she was, for the first 25 years, she was a judge. She was the only black woman who was a judge in the United States. I'd like to see something named after her. Yes, that's interesting, Mr. Vega. Naming Gotham, do you have another option for the title of your book? I did. I wrote the book based on its origin story, which was that I hated Major Deegan <laughs> because I always got stuck in congestion on the Major Deegan Expressway. So when, as I was working on the book, it was called, Who Was That Major Deegan Anyway? But the publisher took one look at my, they liked the book, but they took one look at the proposed title and said, you don't get to set the title because that's a terrible title for this book. Everybody will think it's just a book about, you know, it's a biography of Major Deegan as opposed to this sort of wide ranging view of, you know, across the city of lots of different people. Yes, definitely indeed, Ms. Rebecca. Are you independent or traditional publishing? Well, this was published by History Press, which is a traditional press. It's a small independent press. So that, I think, puts me somewhere in between the two, right? Because it's not a big five, but I didn't self-publish it. I had a professional editor to work with. And um, I not only would I never have come up with the title by myself, but I certainly would never have been able to design the page layout because there are a lot of images in the book or the cover. So I was very grateful for that, their expertise. So what do you think, what is the pros and cons of traditional publishing? Um, the, a big con is it's, they're gatekeepers, right? You know, traditional presses get to decide what gets published. And there are a lot of people who maybe don't fit the mold or don't have the savvy to know how to pitch themselves and yet have great books. So it's wonderful that there's the, there are self-publishing options and independent publishing options. But I think the big advantage is that you don't have to be an expert in everything and you don't have to go out and find an expert because the press has all of that expertise under one roof to manage all the different stages of the process. 
But do you think in the future you will be an indie author too? Well, the comic books that I mentioned earlier are self-published, so I guess I am an indie author in in that context. Oh yes. So if you differentiate, which more appropriate for you? Um, you know, I don't know that one is better or worse. I think it really is very situational. Um, you know, the comic books were not selling, so I didn't have to worry about getting them into bookstores or into Amazon. Right? Those are. Free, as I said, they're free for any nonprofit or educational use, rather than being something that I'm trying to, um, you know, have Amazon stock or have bookstores stock. So, yeah, they're really different. What is your message for those aspiring writers all over the world to want to publish their books? Do it right. Keep <laughs> keep working. Don't let anyone tell you that you that. You can't do this because so much of writing is just about keeping and doing it. And and remember that done is sometimes better than perfect. You know, don't let yourself get so caught up in it has to be perfect that you never finish because the world needs your ideas. We need to read your books. Yes, people, go for it. Probably you are one of the best in the making. So, Miss Rebecca, how did you beat procrastinating? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you're assuming that I did beat procrastinating. <laughs> I mean, one of the great things actually about this book, Naming Gotham, was it was my procrastination from my day job. So when I didn't really feel like grading student papers. I'm sorry, my students, I promise I grade your papers and I love it. But um, you know, sometimes I didn't feel like doing it or when I didn't really feel like doing the my scholarly writing, I could turn to Naming Gotham, which was so much more fun because you know what? It's so much more fun reading newspaper gossip about um, people and like piecing together their life stories rather than crafting legal arguments. And it's so much lighter. Um, as I said, I was writing this during COVID. It was a very painful time. I live in New York City. We were very hard hit. I live near a hospital, so there were constant sirens. And it was, you know, it was a very dark, very scary time. And being able to immerse myself in the fact that Gertrude Whitney, the founder of the Whitney Museum, had a youthful love affair with Esther Hunt, who was the daughter of an architect, a famous architect, Richard Hunt, um, was so much more fun. Mm, interesting people. So, Miss Rebecca, what is a good book for you? Oh, you know, I love reading mysteries. Um, I love if I'm not reading for work, I'm. It's often uh, really escapist. So, I love to read mystery novels. Um, any story. I, I care a lot about the writing. I care a lot of, you know, it, like the thing about mystery novels is they all have basically the same plot, but when somebody is a good writer and is creative and creates characters that are interesting and you can care about them, there's nothing like just letting a book take you away. Yes, indeed, Miss Rebecca, and Thank you, Player FM, for my latest score of 24 and, of course, my 10% popular show globally. Thank you so much. Please 
Rebecca, can you please invite our listeners to buy your book? I would love it. Again, it's Naming Gotham, the villains, rogues, and heroes behind New York place names. It is a book that people, even who aren't in New York, who've never visited New York, uh, find interesting. I've been told. There are a couple of reviews on Amazon from people saying, oh, I didn't really think a book about New York would interest me because I've never been there, but I loved it. Um, it's available, obviously, on Amazon. We've been talking about that. It's also available from your local bookstore. You can order it through any local bookstore and you know, benefit the community that you're, you're living in. It's also probably available from your library. If it's not, you can request it and they can get it for you. People that support Mr. Rebecca, because if you support her, more books to come. What will be your advice if I'm a first timer in New York? Well, make sure that you leave Times Square. All tourists go to Times Square and then they look around where, and it's jammed full of tourists and it's super crowded and they think, oh, I hate New York. Go outside of that narrow little area. Go, uh, go to Central Park for sure, but go eat in the neighborhoods where people live because the food is way more affordable and it's delicious. Um, there are, we have incredible museums here, including the Whitney, which I just mentioned. There is, uh, there's a lot, there's so much to do here that's free. You know, you don't have to sp necessarily spend a lot of money in New York. But one thing I always tell everybody who visits New York is take the East River Ferry. It costs about $4 and it will give you spectacular views of all of Manhattan and Queens and Brooklyn. So it's a, it's a really fun thing to do. There's a bar on board if you want it. You can sit up um, you know, on the weather deck and enjoy the weather if it's nice. If not, you can be inside. Also, the Staten Island Ferry is free and it gives you spectacular views of the Statue of Liberty. Wow. Thank you, Ms. Rebecca, for your advice and lovely talking to you. Oh, it's been wonderful talking with you, Daniel. Thank you so much. Morgan, people. See you soon.